Protocols are one subject that scares many people. Actually, most of the low-level stuffs happening at the operating system scares a lot of people. And I admit I was a bit afraid of dealing with this subject on the podcast. Not because it's hard or anything, but because it's something that we're not used to dealing with every day. It's like a hidden magic spell. Well, I was also afraid, not because of that, but because if I dealt with this subject... I thought I could make mistakes while explaining and exploring it. And I would give other people false assumptions about the mechanism of their Unix operating system. But that's okay. And we'll explain everything slowly. In this podcast, we're discussing system calls on Unix. It's gonna be a quick overview of what's happening there. And if you're someone that hardly knows anything about them, then it's the episode you need to listen to. And here we go. I'm Vinam and you're listening to the Nixers Podcast. What's a system call? Really, what is it? Let's go over the definition. A system call is a way to request a service from the kernel of the operating system from the user land. It's the interface that sits between processes running on the machine and the operating system. It's the layer between the two. The services offered by the kernel can vary from one operating system to another. But as we'll see, there's something that sticks and stays coherent between all the Unix-like operating systems. Most importantly, the system calls are an abstraction layer between the hardware and the user space. It's the same system calls for different hardware architectures, which means you don't have to change anything to your program in user space for it to be portable from CPU brand to CPU brand. It's ubiquitous. So when your programs, you call the same functions, same stuff, but at the lower level, it's different. But it's the same functions you call. It also generalizes function across programming languages. Any programming language can access the system calls. For the programmer, it's just another function to call. And in this definition that we that we mention here, there's a bunch of reasons why system calls are useful. But what else can we say about why we have them? Couldn't we have something other than system calls? Couldn't this have been done in another way? So why do we have an interface between the operating system, the processes, and the hardware? To answer that, we have to review our definition of what an operating system kernel is. Let's go over the wiki definition. A kernel is the operating system software running in protected mode and having access to the hardware's privileged registers. The kernel is not a separate process running on system. It is the guts of the operating system which controls the scheduling of processes to achieve multitasking and provides a set of routines constantly and memory to which every user space process has access. So the kernel is always in memory and scheduling processes for multitasking and it provides functions. But what? What is that protected mode? What's that thing? Most CPUs, or also called processors, have a security model built in or also called a CPU mode. The common one, the common security model, is the rings model, which specifies multiple privileges level at which a software can be executed. 
The kernel itself is executed in unrestricted access mode. It can do anything and is allowed anything that the CPU can do. It can read any part of memory, etc. All other programs run in the layer above. They are limited to their own address space and memory and can't mess up the hardware devices. They are limited to their level of access to resources. So they're prevented from it at the hardware level. This is what is meant by a protected mode and this is a must in any multitasking operating system. Otherwise, every processes will mess up the whole thing. And the concept of rings protection was introduced in Multix, an operating system which highly influenced the development of Unix. And this concept is core to Unix with its preemptive multitasking, where CPU clocks interrupts rapidly and routinely between processes switching control from one to the other. So what does this have to do with system calls, you might ask? Programs need to access devices and components. Otherwise, nothing would work. That's where system calls enter the scene. They provide a well-defined and safe implementation for those operations. The operating system handles the highest level of privileges and allow applications to request from it access to them via system calls. The system call initiate an interrupt, or also called a trap, which puts the CPU into elevated privilege, and then it passes control to the kernel, which handles the arguments and determines if the call should be done or not. It then does its thing and returns to the normal privilege level and pass back the control to the calling program. This is similar to multitasking, where the CPU switches controlled using interrupts as we've said. Couldn't this have been done another way? Instead of having a central unit that controls access to the important parts of the system and hardwares, a part that is there for us not to mess our machine? Well, the answer is no. Currently there are no operating system that does that in another way. There is however a concept called an exokernel where the operating system doesn't offer a general abstraction of the resources, but forces the application developers to make decisions about those hardware abstractions instead of the kernel. That is in opposition with a microkernel in a monolithic architecture. The monolithic architecture is in fact the most common among Unix-like operating systems. So then, System calls are there as a way to protect you from yourself, destroying your machine. That was the why. Now let's take a look at those system calls. From an outer point of view and an inner point of view. So what do they look like, those system calls? What does it look to the programmers? As we've said, system calls are like a library or API, an application programming interface. And it sits between normal programs and the kernel. On Unix-like systems, that API is usually part of an implementation of the C library. So it could be libc or glibc. And it provides wrapper functions for the system calls, often named the same as the system call they invoke, so it's the same name as the system call themselves. Those system calls can be implemented across programming languages, 
It could be partly because other programming languages are written with a lower layer of C, and it can also be because the language has assembly facilities and was written this way. And it will look to the programmer just like any other function, but in actuality, the code for the function is contained within the kernel. That C library wrapper, other than exposing an ordinary function to the outside world, it's made in a way that is modular and portable. And it's not really actually the C library that is portable and modular, but it's the assembly code that is implemented inside this C library. So it works this way. The wrapper places an argument to be passed to the system call and the appropriate registers, the CPU registers. And also it sets a unique system call number for the kernel to call. So every system call has a single unique number and it's set in a certain register too. And we'll see more about those in a minute. This way the API is portable because you have unique system calls numbers that are stable. And every time you see those, those numbers, it's those system calls. So the call to the library function itself does not cause a switch to the kernel mode directly. It's when this part of the code is reached with the number of the system calls and it's sent to the kernel that it's actually executed. This is a highly implementation or platform dependent unlike the number assigned to the system call itself at that level above because at this layer when it reaches inside the kernel uh, the way the system call is done is platform specific cpu specific and it's unstable it changes it changes through time however the name of the system calls don't change and the numbers assigned to the system calls don't either so like we said they are an abstraction Let's go into juicy details. At the low level, there are differences between the different Unix-like operating systems and the way the system calls are managed and received by the kernel. Both Linux and BSDs need to have them written in assembly. FreeBSD supports both the BSD style of system calls and the Linux style. That's just a little nota bene here. And the BSD word, they use the C calling convention, which is also known as C decal, which stands for C declaration. It's a declaration that originates from the C programming language. So it's the how a function in the C programming language is written in assembly. That means that any program written in any language can, in theory, access the kernel as long as they understand C functions. And now let's go into details. The kernel is accessed using int ath. Int, which means interrupt, and ath, which is uh, at and hexadecimal, which is 128, and it means that it does interrupt vector 128. And this gives the instruction to the, to the kernel that it's a system call. And it's the same interrupt on both Linux and BSD. Specifically, the convention for free, open, net, dragonfly, BSD, Unix system calls is that they are done by passing parameters by pushing them to a stack and then doing the interrupt AT and hexadecimal instruction. So this is the thing, pushing to the stack and then interrupt ATX 
it's the C uh, calling convention to push to the stack the parameters of the function of the system call, which is also the same as the C function. Now on Linux, the difference is the way the parameters are passed. Instead of pushing them to a stack, the parameters are not passed to a stack, but they are passed inside registers. In order, they're passed to the EBX, ECX, EDX, ESI, EDI, EBP. So those are six parameters that you can use, six registers that you can use for system calls. And the return value is returned inside EAX. So for Linux, it's the ABCD registers. So they filled in the order of the CPU engine. So for both Linux and BSD, the system call number is passed by filling the EAX register. You fill the EAX register, and then once it reaches the interrupt ATX, it looks at the EAX register, and then it knows which system call number you're calling at the moment. And more generally speaking, the arguments are filled just before that in different ways. And that's the only difference. You fill the arguments and then you do the, you fill EAX for the number of the system call and then you interrupt ATX. And let's note that FreeBSD gives you the choice to use the Linux way of doing system calls or the FreeBSD way. And it's only available if the kernel has Linux emulation installed and you can do that and before executing it as a Linux executable, you have to brand it. And to do that, you have to use a tool called brand elf. And you just uh, brand the executable so the kernel knows it, it doesn't have to execute it as a FreeBSD type of executable. And as a note here, if you want to write any program in assembly, it will always come to, to this. You want to interact with your system, so you're going to be doing the usual jumps and loops and memory manipulation, etc., storing variables and strings, but it all comes down just about filling registers and the EAX registers and argument and system calls, because in the end you, you want to interact with your system. And you can only do that by doing system calls. Let's discuss more now about the CPUs. As we've said, system calls and most Unix-like systems are processed in kernel mode, which is done by changing the processor execution mode from normal to a more privileged one. This However, does not mean that there's going to be a process or context switch. It's not a switch of process. It's just a temporary delegation to the kernel while the calling process is waiting for the response. So we've mentioned that earlier. But what does happen when it's running in a multi-threaded application? As we know, threads in the Unix world are small processes with their own IDs. And there are many ways of handling this situation of multi-threading and multiple system calls inside multiple threads. Most Unix-like operating systems use the one-to-one -one model, which means that every thread gets attached to a distinct kernel-level thread during the system call. And this solves the issue of blocking system calls, and which case they are blocking system calls, and for that, to know which other cases have blocking system calls, we have to mention that there are other ways to handle multi-threading system calls. There are many models. There are the one, the one-to-one -one model, which we just mentioned. There's the many-to-one model, 
where all system calls from any user thread and the process are handled by a single kernel level thread which means that every thread has to wait for the other to finish and this is what we meant by blocking system calls there's the many-to-many -many model and in this model there's a pool of user threads and that is mapped to another pool inside the kernel and those two pools interact with each other and handle all the system calls and there's the hybrid model which mixes both many-to-many -many and one-to-one -one model depending upon the choice made by the kernel and this is found an older version of irix hpux and solaris now let's go back to the cpu different architecture gives out different facilities one of those facilities is for example found in the x86 instruction set that contains the syscall sysreturn and sysenter and sysexit both are implemented by AMD and Intel vendors. Uh, I don't remember which one of the two is for AMD or which one is for Intel. And those are both fast control transfer instruction designed to quickly transfer control to the kernel for system call without having the overhead of an interrupt. So instead of doing an interrupt, you can do those instruction. Another one of those nifty mechanism is the old x86 call gate which allows program to directly call a kernel function using a safe control transfer mechanism but the drawback with that i guess is that uh, you had to do uh, an instruction that is further away and that is why it wasn't that use now let's talk about real examples of system calls and what are the ones available on most unix Let's read a little excerpt. On Unix, Unix-like and other POSIX compliant operating systems, popular system calls are open, read, write, close, wait, exec, fork, exit, and kill. Many modern operating systems have hundreds of different system calls. For example, Linux and OpenBSD each have over 300 different calls. NetBSD has close to 500. FreeBSD has over 500, while Plan 9 has 51. POSIX. Wait, we haven't mentioned POSIX yet. What's that thing? Let's go. What's that POSIX thing? POSIX stands for Portable Operating System Interface, and it's a family of standards specified by the IEEE Computer Society for maintaining compatibility between operating systems and most of those operating systems are unix POSIX standards are about the api of an operating system and the command line shells and utilities interface that a unix like operating system has so it's a standard that is there for the compatibility between unix like os but as with all standards the list of points to follow is huge and most just partly fulfill it and that's not really an issue as long as they take the most important bits and pieces of it. All the modern and most popular Unix-like operating system are only partly adhering to it. Only OS X amongst the end quote, new team is fully compliant. Other than that, you have the AIX, X, HP, Ox, Irix, Solaris, True64, Unixware, QNX, Neutrino that are fully ad adhering to this uh, standard. And weirdly enough, 
those are all mostly closed source operating systems, which is suspiciously annoying. But not being fully compliant doesn't mean that the system isn't Unix-like, it just means that it isn't fulfilling the whole POSIX standard. There is another standard called the Single Unix Specification. It shows if a system can be compliant to be qualified as a Unix trademark. Again, it's a very commercial way of seeing what Unix really is. And very few BSDs and Linux-based operating systems are submitted for compliance with the single Unix specification. And also again, only closed-source Unix-like operating systems adhere to it. Unix is more about the philosophy and the way of working with this multitasking operating system, taking the spirit back from the Bell Labs. Well, what does that all have to do with system calls? It turns out that those standards have a set of functions that are sometimes implemented as system calls. POSIX calls can be implemented in the standard library or as system calls. It is a specification and it does not know about system calls, which in the POSIX point of view are just an implementation detail. Nothing mandates the way they are implemented. They can even be implemented in non-Unix-like operating systems, even if it's a more or less Unix kind of thing. To know which one are system calls, you need to see which one overlaps with them. And let's talk a bit about POSIX. POSIX is divided into two parts, the system interfaces and the command lines and utilities. And we're not interested in the command lines and utilities, and we're only interested in the system interface. And only if those are also implemented as system calls. So there are five main categories of system calls. Process control, file management, device management, information maintenance, and communication. Those five categories of system calls sometimes overlap with some of the features and POSIX, some of the standards, such as process creation and control and POSIX overlaps with process control as system calls. Clock and timers and POSIX overlaps with information maintenance in the system call world. What is to know here is that there are way more POSIX specification than would be needed for system calls. So obviously there's more of a chance that a POSIX specification would not be implemented as a system calls. But there's also more chance that the system calls would be a POSIX uh, specification. So the list of POSIX specifications are quite extensive. They range from thread creation, managing shared memory, pipes, timers, bus errors, signals, etc. And, and you can read more about them in the links and the show notes. Let's try a little experiment of my own uh, to find the most common system calls between all the most popular or currently popular Unix-like operating system. Let's do this crazy thing. Let's check the source of OpenBSD, NetBSD, Linux, and FreeBSD and list the common ones uh, between them, the one that intersects. We can even know if they are POSIX or not. Uh, from this, we can deduce a lot of things. And this will answer if the common system calls are all POSIX or if there are some exceptions to that rule. 
So we found out that there are 136 common system calls between OpenBSD, NetBSD, Linux, and FreeBSD. They are the following. In alphabetical order. Accept, access, ACCT, bind, CHD or CHMOD, CHOM, CHU, clock get res, clock get time, clock set time, close, connect, DUP, top, DUP2, exec VE, exit, F accepts, SAT, F. CHDR, FCHMOD, FCHODAT, FCHOWN, FCHOWN, NAT, FCNTL, FLOCK, FORK, FSTAT, FSYNC, FTRUNCATE, GET DANCE, GET EGID, GET EUID, GET GID, GET GROUPS, GET TI, TIMER, GET PEER NAME, GET PGID, GET PGRP, GET PID, GET PPID, GET PRIORITY, GET R LIMIT, GET R USAGE, GET SID, GET SUCK NAME, GET SUCK OPT, GET TIME OF THE DAY, GET UID, IO CONTROL, KILL, LCHOWN, LINK, LINK AT, LISTEN, LSEEK, LSTAT, M ADVISE, M INCORE, MKDEAR, MKDEAR, MKNOD, MKNOD, AT, MLOCK, MLOCK ALL, MMAP, MOUNT, MPROTECT, MESSAGE CONTROL, MESSAGE GET, MESSAGE RECEIVE, MESSAGE SEND, MSYNC, MUNLOCK, MUNLOCK ALL, MUNMAP, NANO SLEEP, OPEN, OPEN AT, PIPE 2, POL, PRE, IDV, PTRACE, PW, PWRITE F, READ, READ LINK, READ LINK AT, READ V, REBOOT, RECEIVE FROM, RECEIVE MESSAGE, RENAME, RENAME AT, RMDIR, SCED, LEO, SELECT, SEND GET, SEND OP, SEND MESSAGE, SEND TO, SET GID, SET GROUP, SET TI TIMER, SET PGID, SET PRIORITY, SET REGID, SET REUID, SET RLIMIT, SET SID, SET SUCK OPT, SET TIME OF DAY, SET UID, SHMAT, SH, CONTROL, SH, MDT, SH, MGET, SHUTDOWN, SIGNAL, T-STACK, SIG PENDING, SIG PROC MASK, SIG SUSPEND, SOCKET, SOCKET PAIR, STAT, SIMLINK, SIMLINK AT, SYNC, TRUNKET, UMASK, ULINK, UNLINK, UNLINK AT, UTIME, NSAT, UTIME, NSAT, UTIME, V4, WAIT FOR, WRITE, WRITE V. Okay, <laughs> that's a long list. Uh, but there are five that are in the list that I didn't mention yet. The ones I just listed are POSIX compliant. There are five where I did a little script that will loop through the main pages and if it doesn't mention any POSIX, I listed them. And only five of them were in POSIX. They are the following FLOCK, IO CONTROL, MOUNT, REBOOT, WAIT FOR. But overall they're all mostly POSIX. 90% of the time when the system calls are common within the UNIX operating system, they will be POSIX, which is quite interesting. For the last section, let's mention some tips and tools if you want to learn uh, about system calls or you want to debug system calls. First of all, you can check the source of your current Unix-like operating system and it will probably list all the system calls and the related number that you should put in the EAX register to call the system call. And other than that, you can check the main page. Uh, and most operating systems, there's a main page called syscalls, S-I-S-C-A-L-L-S. Just main syscalls and you'll see uh, the documentation about system calls. For tracing system calls, there are specific tools different for every Unix-like operating systems. Tools such as Ktrace for the BSDs, Strace for Linux, Dtrace for Solaris, and Truss, which is available on FreeBSD2 and Solaris. And it allows you to, uh, when a process executes, to report all the system calls that are invoked, and you can attach things to the process and uh, intercept all the system calls that are being made and if the operations are done correctly. And this is very useful if you want to debug something. So that's about it. So this was all about system calls. Let's hope you're less afraid of this part of your system and that you've got the big grasp if you didn't have it before. or 
that it uh, it's more clear now and uh, now let's move to the section where we talk about what we did last week last week I took too much time to edit the episode but other than that I added a feed URL for the podcast and it is podcast.nixers.net slash feed f-e-e-d and now from that feed url you have uh, an rss where you can set it inside uh, an application and you get notification when there is a new episode and it's going to be very useful this week i didn't do much i spent most of the week uh, out getting new ideas relaxing so as usual as usual as usual, if you like what you're listening to, you can contribute in multiple ways. The first easy way is to just give your appreciation on IRC or on the forum's extended podcast threads. It uh, gives us a push to know we're going in the right direction. The second way to contribute is by adding some relevant information on those extended threads. A fourth way would be to help me fill the transcript on some episodes that are missing some. And the last way would be to join me on the podcast. And you can do that by asking for a podcast key on IRC or on the forums. And with that key, you can log into the user interface on podcast.nixers.net. And you, on this interface, you set your available time for the next week. And then the best time, the best common time is chosen. And you can join at that time. And remember that you can find all the episodes on this little short link, podcast.nixers.net slash what, W-H-A-T. Or you can check the feed URL that I just mentioned, podcast.nixers.net slash F-E-E-D, podcast.nixers.net slash feed. So that's all for the system calls. Let's hope you have a wonderful week. This was Venom for the Nixers podcast. <laughs>